This is the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Preston, episode 36, Master Your Motivation. Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for goal-getting, fear-facing women who are kicking ass by creating change. I'm your host, Lindsay Preston. I'm a wife, mom of two, and a multi-certified life coach to women all over the world. I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. We can't fear the fire, we must learn to become it. And on this show, I'll teach you how to do just that. So join me as I challenge you to become even more of the strong, resilient, and powerful woman you are meant to be. Let's do this. Unstoppable. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the show. Or if you're new here, welcome. I'm so glad to have you. I hope you're loving that this show is weekly. We've been doing this now for a couple of months, and hopefully, at this point, you are tuning in week after week and applying new things into your life, gaining new insights, and changing your life along the way. Today's episode is no different. It is going to be one that is packed full of information in a way where you can easily start to leave this episode and make changes in your life. As you can see from the title, we're talking all about how to master your motivation. There is so much conflicting theories and research out there in regards to how to get motivated. And even as a coach and somebody who is constantly studying the research and what everybody has to say about motivation, I get very confused. And Susan, our guest today, Susan Fowler, She has researched motivation for 25 years, specifically just focusing in on the neuroscience research, which you know I'm a neuroscience nerd, I love that stuff, and she has found that there's just three psychological needs that we have to have in order to thrive and be motivated toward changing our life and getting our goals and going after our dreams. I found this research to be fascinating. And I realized along the way too, that I give all of these needs to my clients as we're working together, but in an indirect way. So now I'm just thinking about, oh my gosh, how can I incorporate these more and take it to the next level with them so they can master their motivation even more. And so it's really blown my mind on this research and motivated me in a whole new way, believe it or not. So gosh, I listened to this, um, or I, I conducted this interview without knowing much of anything about Susan, to be honest with you. Typically, I prepare for interviews, I read the book, I listen to a lot of interviews, but there was a communication issue where I thought actually Susan was going to be interviewing me, and it turned out not to be that. So Anyways, this was a little bit different from my norm, but I actually really enjoyed it because I knew so little about her book and what she does that I was asking questions as a newbie listener. And so I think I really tapped into some questions you may have had or will have naturally as you listen to this interview. And I know by the end of the interview, I really wanted to go buy her book and I did. And um, I can't wait to dig in and learn even more about this topic because again, it's fascinating, so fascinating. And I think you're just going to take so many notes off of this and apply it very quickly in your life and see immediate results. Now, just a little bit of background about Susan Fowler. She is a global speaker, consultant, trainer, and coach. She is also the author of many articles, 
peer-reviewed research, and six books, including her latest, Master Your Motivation. She's a regular blogger for the Huffington Post and Leader Chat. Tens of thousands of people worldwide have learned from her ideas through training programs, and she is a professor in the Masters of Science in Executive Leadership for the University of San Diego. Susan gives so much great content on this interview, and it's a longer one, so I'm just going to go ahead and have you listen to my interview with the incredible Susan Fowler. Susan, thank you so much for joining all of us on the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast today. I wanted to bring you on specifically because you have really mastered this whole motivation thing, which is such a hot topic. I feel like everywhere, it seems like, and you've said this in another podcast interview that I heard of yours, that we have been in the dark ages of why we are motivated. So can you kind of just start with what is out there in regards to society's common beliefs of motivation and what the research shows that really motivates us? Oh, thank you for that question. I I love it, Lindsay, because uh, we really are in the dark ages. And I have to tell you, it's taken me 25 years to really get involved and delve into the new research on motivation. And I'm still getting to the other side of complexity. But I really feel when you say, wow, you've really mastered this motivation thing, that first of all, it is a life calling. It's something that we need to be able to do um, every day because motivation is a skill. But it's really hard to develop a skill when you're dealing with outdated beliefs and ideas about what motivation is. So when we look at the typical ways that we motivate, either as managers in a business or as parents uh, with our children or as teachers in school, most of our beliefs about motivation came out of behavioral research that was done like in the 30s and the 40s on animals. And the whole idea was that if you could condition a pigeon, for example, uh, you could get it to do whatever you want it to do, like turn a circle in 360 degrees within 60 seconds by just giving it rewards. And so this whole idea of carrots and sticks became really prevalent in our in our um, methodology. Also, almost everyone's heard of Maslow and Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Well, that's never been empirically proven, and it does a disservice not only to um, Maslow, who never intended for it to be the most popular idea about motivation in the world, it does a real disservice to us because what it indicates, and again, another belief we have, is that we can't really truly be optimally motivated. We can't really reach our highest levels of motivation unless we have all these other criteria checked off, like um, security and safety and food and all those kinds of things. It's, it's, we do need all of that, but psychologically what we need in order to thrive is more important than any other thing. And so what I want to talk to your guests about today is, um, or your listeners, are the psychological needs that we need in order to thrive. And these three psychological needs are what's missing in almost every approach to motivation that's out there, from tiny habits to um, you know, rewarding yourself to all kinds of different um, schemes about how to get motivated. Wow, Susan. So let me understand that I'm hearing you correctly. So you're saying with Maslow, we don't necessarily need those basic needs like we, sh- we see in the triangle in order to get motivated to reach our goals. Am I hearing that correctly? Yes. So first of all, we're always motivated. Your children are always motivated. 
just not in the ways that you would like them to be motivated sometimes. Okay, so we're motivated to eat that muffin. We're, we're not motivated to not eat that muffin. Or um, your children are motivated to act out in a certain way. We're always motivated. So the real question comes to, as to how we're motivated or the psychological needs that are being uh, created or not created when we're motivated. So I'll get back to that in a minute. But with, with Maslow, you know, it really looks good. But if you really think throughout history, I mean, one of my favorite books of all time is called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And he wrote that book when he was in dire circumstances in a World War II concentration camp where he absolutely had none of those biological or physical needs being taken care of. And yet he thrived and he started studying other people who were thriving. And the reason they were able to thrive under the most dire of circumstances was because they had a sense of choice. And choice is one of the three uh, psychological needs that we need in order to thrive. And so his whole idea was, that you might not be able to choose that you're in a concentration camp, but you can absolutely choose the way that you experience that. And, and if you have the skill to experience it differently, like when you're being trudged off to the labor camps in the middle of the night and it's freezing and you're starving and you happen to look through the forest as the sun is coming up and noticing the beauty and realizing nobody can take that beauty away from me. I have a choice to see that beauty and to revel in it if for just, you know, for a few moments. So he constantly started looking around for ways that he could choose to, to find beauty or, or humanity um, or something uplifting. And so we can all do that. So the research shows that there's three of those psychological needs, choice being first, and that all three of these psychological needs to be, need to be experienced together. If we're missing any one of those three psychological needs, then we don't thrive. And when we don't thrive, we try to compensate. So we compensate by getting angry, or we compensate by feeling pressure and stress or guilt, or we compensate by um, wanting to win and, and have power and status, or we compensate by wanting the reward or the prize. And so it's so important for us, not only um, for us as women to be able to create these psychological needs and satisfy them in our own life, but to understand what it means to do that in our homes and our schools and in our workplaces. Yeah. So I have a question for you, Susan. I bet you do. You're good <laughs> at that. <laughs> um, okay. So if we're going back to the people in the concentration camp and they could still see that they had a choice, is that because before the concentration camps, they had a better life versus what is the research shown of somebody who was born into pain and suffering? Do they still have enough strength to be able to see that choice? Well, that's a really interesting question that no one's ever asked me. So let me, do you mind if I think out loud? Oh yeah. Because I have an opinion about it as soon as you said it. I think that well, actually, I have had some research on this. So, <laughs> um, so the, the conditions that you find yourself in will either aid or support your psychological needs, or it will undermine and thwart your psychological needs. So many, for example, schools and organizations, well, homes, schools, and organizations, um, the culture is so uh, detrimental to us experiencing, and I'm just going to say the three psychological needs, which are choice, 
connection and competence. Our choice, connection, and competence are so eroded that it's more challenging to experience them. However, anybody can experience them anytime and any place that they choose. And that's my message. My message is we've got to arm ourselves and our children and our students and our workers with this skill of motivation. So no matter what's happening in the environment, that we can create choice, connection, and competence. And the ideas around this have been used for many years by um, some amazing researchers within the self-determination theory academic community. And there's been all kinds of research done in the clinic with um, anorexia and gambling addicts, alcoholics, all kinds of disorders. And what they find is that when those people start to have um, a sense or perception of choice, connection, and competence, they are able to overcome their addictions um, and their their negative behaviors. So what I've done for the past 25 years is study that research. Uh, I have a really good working relationship with the key researchers in the field, and actually I've done um, my own research and published in academic journals. And what I've really tried to do is to create a process and a model so that people can take advantage of this. So you don't have to go see uh, a skilled psychologist in a clinic to, to go through this, but you can actually start to do it for yourself. And then through motivation conversations, you can start to facilitate other people. Wow. Okay. So let me kind of process out loud on you, Susan, what I'm taking from this. So what the research has shown is that as long as someone has those three basic psychological needs of choice, connection, and competence, the needs don't matter. So even if someone is starving versus if someone is thriving and all of their needs, right? And they're reaching mm-hmm. that self-actualization on that Maslow's triangle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then they can still be motivated. Let, yeah. And let me just clarify something that we obviously need food, water. Um, in fact, the three big biological needs in order for human beings to thrive are uh, food, water, and sex. All right. So those are the three things that keep us going as a species, right? But um, think about this. You can have all the food in the world and still commit suicide. You can have all the money in the world and still be a drug addict. And so what we're saying is that to fully thrive as a human being, it's not just your biological needs that need to be satisfied. It's these psychological needs. And the fact is you are able to thrive with the psychological needs and get by with very little as Viktor Frankl did for years in the concentration camp because his psychological needs were being satisfied. So um, I think, you know, the kind of hard to talk about the extremes, but if you really look at what we're able to do with um, when we're not living in the extremes, when we, when most of us have at least the basic foundation, um, then we're really able to um, not just survive, but thrive. And that's what this is all about, is about thriving. And that's, you know, your whole thing about, you know, being a superwoman or unstoppable woman. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what that's about. You're going to get stopped in your tracks, no matter how wealthy you are, no how beautiful you are, no how privileged you are. You're going to get stopped in your tracks if you don't experience choice, connection, and competence. Okay. I'm getting it now. It's making sense. Mm -hmm. So... 
let's go back. Let's break down those needs. You broke down choice a bit. Well, let me, let me, yeah, let me just say another word about choice. Choice is not having freedom. What a lot of parents, for example, get fearful of is, oh, I've got to give my kids choices. And you know, I, you can't just give a kid freedom. You can't give anyone freedom. So choice and freedom are not the same things. Um, The fact is, if we had total freedom, we would not be able to handle it because we would never have the competence necessary to handle total freedom. So what we're really talking about is having choice and options within boundaries, um, and it's really having a perception of choice. Okay, so some people get up in the morning, they go, oh, I have to go to work. Or if you have a child, you know, oh, I have to get up and deal with my kid. I'm so tired. No, you don't have to. You're choosing to do that because there are parents who neglect their children. There are people who don't go to work. Or if they do, they go just half-heartedly. So so it's recognizing that you have options and you have choices. Sometimes just the realization that you know you have a choice helps you to make the best one. Yes, I completely agree. I'm preaching that all the time on the show of you always have a choice. You always get, like you just said, even those things you think you don't have a choice in of going to work, taking care of your kids, what you're eating, you do always. And you know know what's really funny is how often we box ourselves in, like you've probably done this, you know, you set up an appointment, you send out the meeting invitation, and then it pops up in your calendar and you go, oh, I can't believe I have to do this meeting today. You called it, you know, (laughs) you're the one that put it on your calendar. And yet you have this feeling like, oh, I don't have any choice about what I've got to do during that hour. Um, And the fact is that it was your choice. It's still your choice. Yes. My favorite is always when people say, I can't afford X, Y, Z. And I think you can, you're making the choices. In oh, life. I love it. Or that. I uh, love it. Like, yeah. ugh, drives me crazy. Okay. So, choice. <laughs> so it doesn't equal freedom. Instead, it equals options with boundaries. We have to constantly remind ourselves we have the yeah. choice and everything yeah. in life. Right, Susan? Right. Life? Exactly. You okay. Got, got it. it. Okay. Can we break down the second psychological need, which is connection? Yes, we can. And um, I think this is the one that's missing in most workplaces. Um, and, and connection is when um, it's when we're feeling a genuine connection to other people, when we're feeling like we actually belong and there's an authentic relationship there. It's also about being authentic to ourselves, to our values, to really having developed our values, understanding that values are the guideposts that we make our decisions by. And I'm always shocked when I'm doing like presentations in front of large groups of people. And I, I just do a, a quick little thing. I say, just turn to your neighbor and tell them what your top three values are and how people are really struggling or they, or they just pop three things off the top of their brain, but they've never really thought about it. And so, um, so uh, connection is being aligned with our values and with our sense of purpose. And so, for example, let's say you want to go on a diet. And I deal with people this all the time on this. Like they want to go on a diet. Some of my best friends just decided to go on their 10th you know, diet. Um, uh, and now it's keto, you know, because that sounds like the, the best one going right now. And so what happens is if, as soon as you say, I'm going on a diet, and you say, oh, I can't eat that muffin because I'm on the keto diet and it's not made with almond flour. 
you have just undermined your sense of choice because you're saying, I can't, I can't eat that. It's like you're saying, I can't afford something. No, you're making a choice and you're cho- choosing not to eat it. So change your language. I'm choosing not to eat that muffin because I'm on the keto diet and it doesn't have almond flour. So that is a really important shift. But what they then also don't do is think about the connection. Like, why did you decide to lose weight? And the reason that you've decided to lose weight really matters because if the reason is to really look good at your high school reunion and impress all your friends, that's considered what we call suboptimal motivation. It's devoid of connection. In other words, there's nothing truly meaningful about that. It's really about the image that you have and you have no control over how other people see you. Um, you could look great and they still think you're, you know, not a cool person. So um, connection means that you are aligned with values that are meaningful and are noble. So if you're saying the reason I'm lo- losing weight is because I have a value around health and I've always said I value health and the way I eat is one of the greatest contributors along with exercise to my health and well-being, that's why I'm losing weight. So you're not committing to the diet. What you are committing to is a highly developed, meaningful value around health. And then it doesn't matter which diet. You know, all the diets could work if you stick to it. The reason you don't stick to it is because you have lost your sense of choice and connection. And then we'll, we'll talk about competence in a minute. So connection is um, either uh, really feeling like you genuinely belong Um, and have authentic relationships with the people involved with whatever it is you're trying to do. It's when you are, whatever you're doing, you're aligned with your values and a noble sense of purpose. And the third element of connection is when you um, really feel that you're making a contribution to the greater good. So it's something that goes beyond yourself and your own self um, interests so that you actually are caring about others. You know, that's where we get that deep sense of connection. So what happens is, for example, in the workplace, people set goals all the time, but they fail to say, how does this goal actually align with my values? Um, what, what about this goal is meaningful to me? And so that's, you know, that's a huge piece that's often missing. When parents, for example, can I just give you an example of something I just heard recently at a yeah. fast food? I was in a Rubio's, uh, it's a fast food Mexican place. Um, we have a lot of them here in San Diego. I think it started here in San Diego. Anyway, there's a um, a woman with two young girls in line in front of us. And she says, okay, so what do we want to get? And the, one of the little girls said, um, I want to get, you know, the, the tacos and I want a root beer. And her mom says, okay, well, let's just, let's just think about that choice because we have a number of different choices here. She says, so you get the tacos and if you got it with water, then you could also choose then when we get home. Um, you know, we've got that really good pound cake I made and you could have a piece of the pound cake. Um, or um, you could, and she just started going through all these options. She says, can you think of any other choices you have? And it was fascinating. And then this little girl, she must have been five years old, says, okay, I'm going to have the water and I want the cake when we get home. You know, it was just like, whoa. So what the mother was doing, oh, I'm sorry, I missed part of the most important part. She said, we have our goals around eating healthy and creating more energy so you can do what you want to do. Let's think about your choices. And that, I mean, so it wasn't just choice. It was choice that was connected to a meaningful value that they had agreed upon before they ever walked into that fast food joint. Wow. I love it. Isn't that cool? Yeah. And and going back to the connection piece of 
having a bigger purpose, living it mm-hmm. with authenticity, living in your values. This is something I'm preaching all the time, Susan, and I'm, and I'm teaching my clients. But to me, when I hear that, it goes back to what's your why? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? And then knowing who you are on a deep level, right? Yes. And I just wrote a blog about this very thing because what happens is we stop too soon with the why. And so we say, well, why are you doing this? And somebody might say like, well, the reason I'm, um, I'm, I'm really working hard on the sales thing is because I want to be, uh, I want to be number one this quarter on the sales team. And then they say, okay, so you're doing this because you want to really excel and be number one. That's not a good enough why. Um, the why. The quality of your why will determine the quality of the motivation you have to actually achieve your goal. So it is also like, well, why do you want to lose weight? Well, because I'm going to my high school reunion this summer and I really want to look my best. That's not a good enough why. Because that's all about image and, and um, power and status. And so what the research says is that it's not about whether you're motivated or not. It's about the quality of the motivation that you have. And so if you are motivated by external factors or things you can't control, then that's called suboptimal motivation and you will not succeed over time or even if you do, you, will, you won't have that sense of thriving. But if the why is something that is values-based, a noble purpose, or really contributing to the greater good, helping you to be a more authentic human being, um, then that why is, has a higher quality than a lot of your other whys. Totally agree, Susan. Um, and it goes back to, I keep mentioning this, I don't mean to, but it goes back to something I teach my clients, which is the puzzle of them. So their values, their strengths, their purpose, oh, all these things. Um, and so then they get this sense of this is who I am in the world. This is what lights me up and makes me feel good. So they have that deep why. I'm so glad you mentioned that because it's so true that so many people say, well, I'm doing this because I love my kids. I get right. that a lot. Or I'm yeah, doing- and you could be, and you could, you could yeah. be, you could be really loving your kids, or it could be that you feel a burden, you feel obligated, and every morning you wake up and you feel heavy because mm-hmm. you you feel like, oh, I have to be a good mother. Oh, I can't let other people down. Um, so we have to really delve into, you know, you say you love your children, and let's get in touch with that. Why do you love them? And then yeah, deeper, it- and why da 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 da? Exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. yes. Yes. So keep going until you get the core of that connection or that exactly that authenticity, right? Okay, great. So we've got choice, we've got connection, and then tell us about the third psychological need, competence. Yeah, you know, um, you know, think about when you have like a two, two or three year old, and what's the question they're always asking you? They're always asking that why question, right? Why, why, why? And think about why they ask you about why. And the reason is because they love to learn. They're absolutely curious about the world. They want to gain and they need to gain competence. Think about the toddler who's just learning to walk and they keep falling. Now, we never question why they fall. It's obvious because they don't have the skill yet to walk. But do we ever ask, why do they keep getting up? <laughs> and, and when they get up, they're not crying. They're laughing. They're so joyful. It's like a fun experience because they're learning something. They're, they're, they're on their way to mastering something that's vital, as they can tell, to get from point A to point B. 
more quickly. And so we have a natural need and love to learn. And what's happened in so many of our institutions is that we've taken that inherent love of learning and we have externalized it. So we say, oh, wow, if you really learn well, we'll give you a good grade. Or if you don't learn well, we'll give you a bad grade. So now it's not about learning. It's about the grade. Or, oh, wow, if you get all 10 right, or, or you know, we're going to give you stickies, um, you know, smiley faces on your little pop quiz for every answer you get right. And we thought that was a real improvement over the big red check marks and the minus two, you know, the focusing on the negative. Let's focus on the positive. No, it's all the same. It's all rewarding um, behavior that doesn't need to be rewarded because it's already there. And what the research says is that you cannot be intrinsically and extrinsically motivated at the same time. And so if you give children, for example, external rewards for doing something they already love to do and are naturally inclined to do, they become more focused on the reward than the natural thing they love doing. And as soon as they lose interest in the reward, or as soon as that reward's no longer there, um, then they uh, lose interest. And you wonder why the time they get to high school, you've got to bribe them to graduate with a car. And then those people go into our workplaces and they're so used to the carrots and the sticks that they don't know any other way of understanding what truly, um, authentically, optimally motivates them. Wow. I'm just sitting here taking that in. You know, it's, it's a lot. And, I, and I'm, I'm sorry if I just talk so much. It's like, um, this is so exciting, Lindsay. If we... And, and I'm giving you a lot of the background information and examples, but it really becomes very simple. We can just ask a few simple questions of ourselves every day, or if you're a coach like you are, or if you're a parent, a teacher, or a manager, we can just start asking three simple questions, and we will start to change and shift the type of motivation that we have for anything we're doing. And what are those questions? I have to know. well that's a good question um okay so the first question is you know what choices do i have right so it's that simple and it could be i mean you can extend it you can elongate it you can ask yourself well what choices do i have you could also ask yourself what choices have i made and how do i feel about those choices you know even if you don't think you have choices if you ask yourself well what choices have i made suddenly it becomes apparent your internal logic goes, oh, yeah, I did make a choice there. Oh, I do have choices. So just ask yourself, what choices have I made? How do I feel about those choices? Um, what choices do I wish I hadn't made? So it's just asking yourself about choices and exploring that. Then the second one is to ask yourself, um, what do I find meaningful? Um, what did I do today that I found meaning in? Um, how did I fulfill my values? You know, how did I feel a connection? So it's really just asking, how did I create connection today? Did I reach out to someone? Was I kind? Was I, um, was I generous? Um, was I grateful? You know, just asking yourself, how did I create connection today? Or how can I create connection today? And then the third question is, you know, how have I learned? How have I grown? What kind of competence have I built? What competence do I have? Um, so just to start asking ourselves at the end of every day, not just what did I do, what did I get done, but to ask ourselves, what did I learn today? If when your kids come home from school 
if you could just ask them, well, you know, tell me about the choices you made today at school and how'd you feel about them? I know it sounds like a crazy question, but kids will, kids, kids love it. They, they really start thinking about it. I've been doing this with my grandchildren. It's fascinating. Um, and then, you know, ask them, you know, what did you do today that, that made you feel good? You know, and then why did that make you feel good? If it's something external or like, oh, well, I, I won the contest, you know, well, then delve deeper. Well, wh- how did you find meaning in winning? You know, and a lot of times what the meaning will is connected to competence because I learned something. Well, what did you learn? You know, at the end of the day, if we don't ask, for example, if we don't ask children or if we're a manager, we don't ask our employees, if we're a teacher, we don't ask our students. At the end of the day, if we don't ask, what did you learn? There's a really good chance they're going to forget it. So the research on adult learning theory says we need to um, exalt in our learning. We need to um, identify what we've learned or there's, it, it goes into a part of the brain that is harder to access. But when we connect our learning to the choices we made and the values we have, that learning sticks. It goes into that limbic part of your, your brain where that's associated with emotion and, and meaning um, that can be retrieved more easily. Wow. Okay. So, Susan, here's what I'm gathering from this. Correct me if I'm wrong, okay? So, somebody just first realizes they have a choice in everything they do. They have the choice to show up to life however they want to show up to life, right? They're always right. in their power. The power is that locus of control, right? <gasps> oh, yes. Yes, yeah. Um, the second thing, then they realize they have that power. So then they they understand or they look at how, who am I on a deeper level? How can I show up authentically? What are my values? How can I create connection like you said? And then from there, knowing who they are on a deeper level, what can I go out and learn today to grow that co- connection and with my values and my authenticity? Is that kind of the, the three steps too? Would that get yes. somebody? Yes, okay. yes, yes. Um, I think it's more powerful when you do what you've just described. And that is you're really connecting your choices with connection and with your competence. Um, a lot of times it doesn't flow that way. But I think that um, I call it the, the domino effect that you could have all the choices in the world. But if you have all the choice, like for example, you have a lot of money. It gives you discretionary choice. You can choose. You have more options of choosing what you want and how you spend your time and what you buy than when you don't have a lot of money, right? So let's say you have a lot of money. So you have a lot of choices. But if you don't have any meaning behind those choices, if you don't have any meaningful relationships or you don't have a sense of purpose in your life, we've seen how many really rich people actually end up in very sad situations and circumstances. And that's because they didn't have that sense of connection. Um, you could have all the, the meaning and the connection in the world. Wow, I have this really purposeful life, but I don't have any choices and I'm not learning anything. That meaning is not going to last long. It's, it's going to be probably very surface oriented. It's not going to be very deep. Uh, and you could know everything. You could be really, really smart. But you're, for example, you have a manager who's constantly micromanaging you. And because your manager is always micromanaging you, you're not allowed to demonstrate the competence that you have. And then you think there's no connection there because my boss doesn't care about me. All they care about is controlling me. So you've just eroded connection. So every one of these is totally interconnected. And the way you set it up kind of shows the most natural kind of flow. Yeah. I mean, my mind is just going a mile a minute of just thinking of all these 
different things of, like you mentioned, if you, somebody has this, that they don't have this, Mm -hmm. what's the point, right? So it's this trifecta of having all three of these. Yes. uh, Yeah. yeah. And that's a really good way of saying is that, that trifecta. I also think of it as like, um, you've got three elixirs and each one of these elixirs is like a magic potion. It's just so powerful. But when you mix these three elixirs together, they are truly magic. They, they work wonders. They can literally change the nature of your experience in any moment. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just love this, Susan, because these are things that I, I, you kind of know when you say, you say these. It's like, oh, this makes yes. so much sense, right? But knowing now all the research behind this, it just makes it so easy now, anytime you're not motivated to go back to these three things versus, well, what is it? Is it that I don't want this or that or that? Right. Now it's just a quick couple questions and then you can get back to moving and grooving on your goals or adjusting, <laughs> don't you think? Right? Absolutely. I love that. Moving and grooving. Yeah. You, yeah. you get away with words. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it seems really simple. It, it, it's, like I said, it's taken me 25 years to kind of get to the other side of that complexity. And so, and so I'm, I'm grateful that you, you can see the, um, maybe the elegance in it. Um, you know, there's, for example, um, Viktor Frankl's book is mostly about the concept of autonomy and ch- or choice, which is the same, same concept, autonomy and choice. Um, there's a lot of books out there about the power of purpose and, 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 you know, about living with intention and about the values that you have. And then there's like Carol Dweck's book on um, the mindset, the growth mindset, and there's research on the power of progress. So there's been a lot of really great research on each one of these three psychological needs, but where, again, the magic of the research is um, when they've been able to really uh, see that these are three foundational needs and that almost all the other things we talk about are byproducts of these three needs being uh, created in your life. So for example, trust. We all say, oh yeah, trust is a vital thing in life. Yes, it is. But trust is a byproduct of relationships where choice, connection, and competence are all um, operational. Um, We talk about safety and security. That seems like that's really foundational. It was in Maslow's hierarchy. And the fact is, we've discovered that when people are experiencing choice, connection, and competence, they feel safe. So that's why these three um, psychological needs are considered foundational. And all these other things that we think about or hear about or or that might appear in Maslow's hierarchy or whatever are byproducts of these three needs that we, when we create them in our lives, we absolutely thrive. Wow. (laughs) This is so great. I'm just, my mind is spinning. Um, just so much greatness in this and yet so much simplicity, right? I mean, it just, it turns so many things on its head. I mean, I hear, and, and I know you talk about this often from people that just say, well, I just need focus and discipline. That's all I need. That's my problem. Uh Right. Well, it is their, you know what their problem is, is that they think they need focus and discipline. (laughs) (laughs) You know, can I share with you that the reason I started studying all of this was almost 40 years ago when, um, I, I, I love meat, okay? I, and I actually had a, a little pot of pork fat that I would keep on my stove because no matter what you were cooking, it just kind of tasted better with pork fat in it, you know? And so I love meat. And one night I watched a documentary about the way we treat the animals that we eat. 
And something just shifted in me. And overnight, I quit eating all meat, wearing leather, fish, you name it. I, I, if it's a broth and it's got you know, stock in it, I will not eat the soup. I mean, I'm, I was really strict vegetarian. I was a strict vegan for years, but I'm a strict vegetarian. And people say, oh, you're so disciplined. Oh my gosh, look at your willpower. And the reason that was befuddling to me was that it took no willpower and I was using no discipline. It just, it just happened. I just did it. And it's almost been 40 years ago now. Wow. And, and people still say, oh, you're so disciplined. I go, no, I'm not. And so I was curious, what happened? And if that could happen with being a vegetarian, could it happen with other things in my life that, that I actually want to do? And that started my search. I really, in earnest, began this search. And then, like I said, 25 years ago, I found the research community that was doing the, the most groundbreaking research in motivation history. And, and there, it's just a phenomenal body of work. And the um, APA Monitor, which is the uh, kind of the premier magazine um, publication of the American Psychology Association, are doing a big um, story about this research. And they're talking to the founders of, of this theory. And they say, well, this is really great research. This is phenomenal. And, but, you know, does any, how do you apply it? What, how do you use it? And Dr. Richard Ryan had them call me. Because they feel that my experience within the academic com um, community, but then literally being able to go around the world and teach these ideas and, and, and talk to organizations um, like the top, one of the top three financial institutions in the world and, you know, these different organizations um, that we're really learning how to apply it. And so that's, that's really exciting to me is that... <laughs> there's a lot that's gone into this. This isn't just my opinion about what's motivating. And so it came out of my own, my own experience, but it was that experience of having a motivational shift and not understanding it and wanting to get to what happened there. And so what I would encourage your listeners to do is think about a time when you've actually done something that you really wanted to do and it didn't require willpower and discipline. You just started doing it and deconstruct it. And discover that what happened there was in that moment you were experiencing choice, connection, and competence. And that that ongoing experience of choice, connection, and competence is what enabled you to sustain your, your behavior. So deconstruct it and notice that. And then using you know, some of the, the tips we've talked about today, start to embed it in your life uh, with other things that you would like to master. Wow. Susan, I can't re wait to read your book now. Um, well, thank you. Can I explain something, Lindsay? Yeah, the of course. Um, the first book was uh, published in 2014. It's called Why Motivating People Doesn't Work and What Does. And it was written primarily for managers and to some extent parents. And those um, ideas are really about how to create an environment where people are more likely to be optimally motivated. The book that was released this past year in 2019 um, in June is really geared for individual contributors um, or just the individual. So how do you take this information and actually use it for your own um, motivation so that you're not dependent on a manager, a teacher, or a parent for your motivation? Wow. And what's the best place to get those books? 
you know, Amazon is probably just the easiest, but Barnes and Nobles, um, any of, you know, any online bookseller, if you go into your bookstore, because they've been out for a while now, sometimes um, Barnes and Nobles will have the new book, Master Your Motivation. If they don't have it on hand, they'll gladly order it for you. Um, or from my publisher, Barrett Kohler. Great. Or from my website at www.susanfowler.com. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Susan, thank you so much for today. I feel like I learned so much and I can't wait to dig in even more. Um, we appreciate you sharing all your research in 25 years of wisdom. Um, so thank you. Well, thank you. And it helps me every time I talk about it. It just reinforces how I need to keep mastering my motivation every single day. So thank you for that opportunity, Lindsay. You bet. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Become an Unstoppable Woman. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you get new episodes every Monday. And I'd love it if you left a review for the show too, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you want even more from the show, come join the conversation online in my community. Each week we break down the episode and you have a private space to ask your questions. To join, go to lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-E, Preston.com forward slash community. And if you feel like you're really ready to change your life, let's work together in my coaching programs. I have a free assessment that's the first step to seeing if we're a good fit. Just go to lindsayepreston.com forward slash assessment to take it now. Thanks again for tuning into the show today. I'm so grateful you're here and I'll see you next time. But until we meet again, remember my friend, you're only as unstoppable as you believe you can be. So believe in yourself. You got this.